life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough But as the world turned, I learned life was hell Living in the world no different from a cell Every day I skate from takes, giving takes, selling bass Smoking bones in the staircase Though I don't know why I chose to smoke cess I guess that's the time when I'm not depressed But I'm still depressed And I ask, what's your work? Ready to give up so I seek the old earth Who explain working hard may help you maintain To learn to overcome the heartaches and pain You got stick up kids, corrupt cops And crack rocks and spray shots All in the block that stays hot Leave it up to me while I be living proof To kick the truth to the young black youth Shorty's running wild, smoking sets, drinking beer And ain't trying to hear what I'm kicking in his ear Neglected for now, but yo, it got to be accepted That what? The life is hectic Cash fools, everything around me Green, get the money, dollar, dollar bill, yo Same thing the U.S. does, except nobody even shot their family members You know, some they see um, the, the somebody bomb a uh, uh, school and all these people get killed so the United States feel like, ooh, that's messed up, we gotta go show them who's the real killers. This country was built on gangs, you know. I think this country still is run on gangs. Republicans, Democrats, the police department, the FBI, the CIA, those are gangs, you know what I mean? The correctional officers. I had a correctional officer tell me straight up, we the biggest gang in the United States. Straight up. Now I was born as a rebel, making trouble for the devil Take this gangbang shit to a whole nother level, can you feel me now? Armies in every city, definition of power Players, all you with me see the war is the prophecy Survival is the strategy, rest in peace to my comrades Now if we do want to live a thug life and a gangster life and all of that, okay So stop being cowards and let's have a revolution But we don't want to do that, dudes just want to live a, a, um, a character they want to be cartoons, but if they really wanted to do something, it was that tough. All right, let's start our own country. Let's start a revolution. Let's get out of here. Let's do something. Question the system. Be the resistance. No matter what color you are, everybody. You can stand by and watch it. You can march on with us. Some revolutionaries get old. Although I'm told you'll get left full of bullet holes when you tell the people go free. Oi, look, there's a chap, that means cats all housed and violent He's got a hoodie on, give him a hug A second thoughts don't, you don't wanna get mugged Oh shit, too late, that was kinda dumb Whose idea was that? Stupid He's got some fun, ain't we all? Be the joker, play the fool It's politics, ain't it all? Smoke and mirrors, April Fools All year round, all in all Just another brick in the wall Get away with murder in the schools Use four letters, swear words, cause we cool All drinkers, drug takers Every single one of us funds the earth Keep on believing what you're reading, the papers can't to a state is gone with the earth Thinking all alive on the count to a state is From a thing you ever read about it or heard But it's all true so stay with your safest There's no need to step out the verb Truth is here we're all disturbed We cheat and lie it's so absurd Feed the fear that's what we've learned Fuel the fire let it burn We got an eco-friendly government They preserve our natural habitat Built an entire Olympic village around where we live about Pulling down any flats give us free money And we don't pay any tax NHS healthcare yes please Many thanks people get stabbed round here There's many shanks nice knowing someone's got a back when we get 
that's America, this Britain Something similar, some different In this country, the first enslaved were the working class What's changed? Worst jobs, worst conditions Most tax, look where you live and yet you go to the pub Friday night, you will fight with a guy Don't know what for, won't fight with a guy Shoot and a tight, you send your kids to die in a war They don't send the kids to the rich to the politician It's your kids, the poor British Perfect. They're saying to go and die in a foreign land For these wars that you don't understand Yeah, they say you are British And that lovely patriotism, they feed you But in reality, you have more in common with immigrants Than with your leaders, I know Both sides of my family, black and white, a fed ghetto mentality Reality in this system Poor people dirt regardless of shade But with that said, let's not pretend that everything is the same When our grandparents... Talking in terms of power Where the power is Who's shaping the condition of our lives Who determines the quality of the air we breathe The food we eat, the water we drink the kind of jobs we can have, the images we have to deal with and such. The redistribution of power. The redistribution of power. We want the redistribution of power. We want the redistribution of power. We want the redistribution of power. The redistribution of power until your power is ours. Until your power is ours. And everyone got excited about the technology, and I guess it was pretty incredible watching a missile fly down an air vent. Pretty unbelievable. But couldn't we feasibly use that same technology to shoot food at hungry people? No one can deny the impact that Marxism has had on the entire world, although many try. It has spread the surface of the planet, inspiring many movements. However, no matter how well known they are, one question still remains. Why does the working class, the largest class, not simply eat the other classes? But as a Marxist, I'm concerned about every person. I'm concerned about the people having bombs dropped on them in Yemen, people in Venezuela fighting for living standards that are acceptable, people in China and, and Japan and Korea, all these places. And for that, we need an ability to globally confront capitalism. And what is capitalism if not highly centralized, highly organized, highly militant, highly funded? You're not going to be able to challenge an organization of that caliber without sadly replicating some of those realities you're going to have to be militant you're going to have to be sort of centralized you're going to have to have a big organizational movement that has funding and that is international in scope if you're going to take on an enemy that's international in scope proletariat and the role of the Lupin proletariat in a revolution, because obviously the central protagonist in this is a criminal who becomes a member of the National Liberation Front, and seeing sort of what Fanon talks about with the difficulties of the Lupin proletariat needing to be hashed out, the Lupin proletariat needing to be radicalized and turned into party members, really playing out. Three, two, one. One. Everybody, thanks for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio, the podcast for the left, from the Lumpen, and from the Lumpen to the left. In this episode, I discuss, theorise, and educate on the topics of the Lumpen proletariat, as well as industrial colonialism and nationalism. Two subjects that are crucial for revolution, and I aim to prove that in this episode. 
This episode is mainly for the comrades I work with and those I communicate with online rather than the lumping. So without further ado, let's dive into it. I just want to mention that intro isn't going to be me intro all the time. It's not going to be seven minutes long. It's just I decided to get a little bit arty. A lot of most people's political education backgrounds, philosophy about the struggles of the world comes from hip hop. I'm hoping you found some of that familiar. It was certainly a journey I've been on listening to you know, hip-hop about smoking weed, drugs, selling it, gangbanging, all that life. It was only, you know, after years and years of political education and seeing other sides of the story that I could figure out that it was actually produced by, most likely, the Lumpen Politariat, which is a class of society this podcast focused on. So you don't have to sit through all that seven minutes or in all the other episodes, but I hope you enjoyed it. Moving on. Who are the Lumpen? Well, we are going to get to that, but to give a context to the reason for this episode, I just want to say that I wanted to launch Revolutionary Lumpen Radio with four episodes, not this one. But I've not done that because, firstly... This subject, these subjects I'm talking about now is just burning inside me. Like, I couldn't get out of my mind. I've got, like, I've I've got people waiting on this podcast. I've been, like, at it for months. But, like, in between work, in between everything else, all my organising, I've just struggled to get it all together. I've done so much writing, but I had to at least get this out. Secondly, I wanted to show the historical theory and practice in order to defend my thesis on these subjects and fundamentally change how comrades today view what they perceive as solidarity as well as lastly give them a more fleshed out version of what it's going to take to gather enough class consciousness to get to socialism which we need in order to save us and flourish as potentially the only sentient life in the universe capable of doing so if we get our act together instead of the current opposite. To help explain the basis of my claims, I'll add a question and a comment put forth by my comrade Ascalante in a Red Manus episode. I had talked about these points before hearing it to a couple of comrades in local communist organisations over Twitter, speaking to people in real life, because these issues really matter to me, the lumpen proletariat, uh, inviting them into the class struggle as well as have a lot of resources and massive infrastructure, which we need to properly utilise, in my opinion. But these communist organisations, revolutionary, I was really frustratingly criticising their current methods as detrimental to revolution, because they are my local and nationally nationally based organisation. So just as I've been very expressive for a while now of the revolutionary imperative of inviting into the class struggle to basically every comrade I've come in, in, in contact with. A question with a point inspired by Franz Fanon, the Marxist author, Wretched of the Earth, which really helped me put my thoughts and feelings onto these subjects into this theory because of his focus on the revolutionary potential of the lumpen proletariat. It also inspired comrade Ascalante, who I can't articulate like my love e- enough for her. So I'm sure many, many others, including myself, have noticed the 
All too often, organisations today are focused on protests or tenant unions, which are good things, but without necessarily stopping to determine who makes up the base of our organisation. All too often, the base of our organisations are made up of mostly students. We often see organisations based primarily around other students. Occasionally, you will see petty bourgeois academics who will unify with revolutionary academics who will provide some ideological line from our organisation. And that is generally the most common form the left takes today. It's young, it's mostly highly educated, mostly from a student's subjectivity. So in quotations, How many organisations can say that their cadre actually lives with the most oppressed of the masses and learns from them instead of trying to organise them in the name of some abstract line that the masses have no relation to? End of quote. Well, not many I'd imagine. And I'd have to imagine because I've personally never seen it. I've never seen, like, the lads and scallies and that in, in like a local communist organisation, I just haven't done it. So additionally, Franz Fanon and Sister Codre ought to feel honoured to be assigned to live in the most rural areas and impoverished areas of the nation because it's by living there that they can educate the masses in political ideology and make sure that the will of the masses is represented in the work of the party. This structure away from the enclave of the national bourgeoisie serves to make sure that the party is accountable, not to the would-be industrialists and intellectuals, I should say, of the colony, but those who suffer mostly from repression. So these quotes are a little bit like intellectually written, um, and they may not be easy for everybody to understand because it's coming from intellectual educated backgrounds, which makes this point in engaging with the lumpen even more valid because like I like like when I'm listening to like all these podcasts and that myself, like they're just like casually like like just talking all words I have never even heard before in my life. They are proper like intellectual and I'm just proper uneducated and I'm half stupid to be honest with you. But to summarise and support, I'll say that I've personally seen a lot of students and organisations, well mostly students. What this means is not only are they separate from the masses, because they often live in student accommodation, uh, come from educated households themselves, but they, when it comes to actually relating with the masses in a significant way, they fall short in their ability to. This means that the organising takes a different route from that of what would be the national masses and are often for worker-based gains or international solidarity with the proletarians thousands of miles away from the estates, the council houses or the ghettos of the actual masses, the lumpen. Therefore, their ability to recruit them falls short and the purpose of revolutionary lumpen radio is to close this gap so organisations consider what they miss out on if their organisations consist mostly of academics and foreign struggles attempting to tackle racism by supporting victims of imperialism rather than actually educating the colonised masses of their own nation through local solidarity. So I mentioned colonised masses. 
And yes, I am talking about those of industrialised nations, you know, such as the UK, the US, the EU. And although you might scoff at this, consider Mark Fisher's capitalist realism, where Mark was notable for confronting life's harshest realities head-on. He offered an unflinching analysis of neoliberalism and how it enforced its hegemony by colonising the minds of its subjects. His work on depression epitomised his approach. He took something that had been characterised as a modern epidemic and moved it from a medical context to a social one, emphasising that we live in a time when class consciousness and collective politics are a historical low, and when the promotion of cruelty, selfishness and self-blame have become integral to the maintenance of the established order. And again, you could go into Gramsci on cultural hegemony. He's very much the same. He talks about how, you know, the base of superstructure influences our minds. And yeah, again, our minds are colonised by our environment. Very much so. And our environment is, of course, you know, just it's created by the people who own the means of production. So if you own the means of production, then you own what's produced. And if you own what's produced, then you own, you know, how the world is shaped and if you if you shape the world how you want it because you've got that wealth and resources then of course you control how people think because they've got to navigate their way through the world and the only way in doing that is you know working your way around these obstacles i mean that's a that's a simply put as i can put it i'm gonna have an episode hopefully with a comrade who's who's done work on gramsci before and we're gonna go over that i'd love to go into that more so hang tight you know send us a message and motivate me to to write that script out as soon as possible but for now i i ask that you bear with me i am certain i'm going to propose my own theory backed by franz fernand's work that he produced as he was dying i'm going to use that in order to support this claim and then just how acknowledging this will guide us in a trajectory towards global international solidarity into one nation of communism but first let's dive into very briefly what the lumpen is in historical context and the modern context in which you'll find me using it but i'm only going to do this briefly because the next episode's going to go into the theory of the lumpen in more detail before a book reading on ed mead's lumpen so marx and engels and the communist manifesto proposes and quote slum workers of the mob this term identifies to the class of outcast, degenerated and submerged elements that make up a section of the population of industrial centres. The lumpen includes beggars, prostitutes, gangsters, racketeers, swindlers, petty criminals, tramps, chronic unemployed or unemployables, persons who have been cast out by industry and all sorts of declassed, degraded or de- degenerated elements. In times of prolonged crisis, such as depression, innumerable young people also cannot find an opportunity to enter into the social organism as producers are pushed into this limbo of the outcast. Here, demagogues and fascists of various stripes find some area of the mass base in time of struggle and social breakdown, when the ranks of the lumpen proletariat are enormously swelled by ruined and declassed elements from all layers society in the K. So that was Marx and Engels' extremely offensive opinion of the lumpen, though it was quite accurate. 
Like, I know that if they were to describe the, the lads like that to the face, then he'd probably get his head punched in. Personally, I believe the lumping, and this is how I use the term. I use the term in the sense that if you don't work because you don't want to work, or you don't work because you can't work, you're just chronically unemployed, you know, unemployable, or you're a youth, you're a teenager, you're just in between school, in between work. You know, if you make a living off crime while not actually working officially as a politician, then then that's what I class as a lumpen. I don't believe, as Mark said, that the lumpen are outcasts by no means. I think that the lumpen make up a vast majority of close-knit communities and societies. And the lumpen are very much, in many ways, better off than the workers because they're not isolated. They can spend time around the friends. They can develop close bonds and communities in, in ways that the isolated worker can't. And, of course, the work, workers can't, by design, to make them better workers, make them more submissive wage slaves, but the lumpen are well better off than the worker. That's if you leave out the equation that they're on the wrong side of the law and they live in extremely hostile, aggressive environments. So some people might have the choice to decide not to work. They might not want to work. They might hate the idea of having a boss breathing down your neck, being a wage slave for a billionaire, making a pittance, taking up all your day. Having no free time, having no life other than a new modern form of slavery. But we also must bear in mind a class structured society, the welfare's a capitalist program intended to mitigate the negatives of frictional unemployment. It's based on economic theory predicting that in a healthy economy, there's unavoidable turnover due to a competitive companies forcing each other out of business. So I think both welfare and unemployment is designed to facilitate capitalism and adduce to that to this end. And like I looked at most people stay on universal credit for like less than six months. And like it, this this system set up that way because if everybody was employed, well then there'd, there'd be nobody to work the shitty jobs. The jobs producing pointless commodities that exist only for profit. So what what then happens dialectically? There's people who are starving <laughs> in modern societies that you could say they, they claim to be the most developed societies. So some of these people end up as lumpen. They just get pulled into a subculture um, <laughs> that's based off history. I mean, crime has gone on for a very, very, very long time. Like, for example, I know that like Liverpool, where I live and from, it was set up as the first colony of the British Empire. A fun fact, we invented the postcode. So we've got L number blah blah on our postcodes, whereas London hasn't, and that's because we made it first. Liverpool's got a docks and it's historically been a city where we trade from the docks and it's just a great place to have a port, particularly when... You know, you trade with the United States or Ireland or what whatnot. But there was also a lot of poor people and there was a lot of criminals back then. There was it's like like I say, like 
scousers, like people from Liverpool, have like they've got a reputation of being robbers, and this is because even back then in the docks, there'd be people who just were were just boss at robbing. They were just so good at it, and like they get like chisels and they chip away at bricks on these docks, and then they go in the docks and then they rob the docks and then they put the bricks back up and then they just do it again. So I mean, crime, thieving, drug dealing. There's methods to these that have been going on for so long. So if you're forced to be unemployed or forced into into benefits, you, you, you're going to be sucked up into this culture. And it is a very professional way to live in many ways. But it forces other people to get high. It takes the wages of workers or other things that damage the potential for tight-knit communities of proletarian solidarity and this is really just results in a breakdown of society and I think this is just like the unemployment rate so that there's permanently people unemployed to constantly be hired when companies go out of business or they get sold and then liquidated. I think that the lumping are very much planned. Like you've only got to look at the CIA involvement in contra cocaine trafficking with Gary Webb speaking out against it, talking about the role he played in this drug problem in the United States. And then you've also got JP Morgan with uh, a container ship where the authorities found nearly 18 tonnes of cocaine with an estimated street value $1.3 billion. So the, this is banks, this is the government who were, who were trading and dealing in drugs on like the upper level. And then they're taking it to the streets to obviously attack the people there and, and again just get people hooked on these drugs so there isn't solidarity and connection and then of course you're not going to see the CIA agents in fact you, you might have out knowing it actually dealing it to the people or JP Morgan with their container worth a billion pounds in, in cocaine on their container ship so you know if you are a baller out there then you're not uncompared to these big ruling class people that I'm telling you you should be against in that. So, I mean, this is just another way that the proletarians exploited. And this is why I'm doing this. Because these are the ultimate parasites who are damaging our communities, us as people, our potential for a, a future that's not revolving around staying away from the law to not end up in jail. You know what I'm saying? Or hit, or stabbed, or shot, or whatever it is that's going on in your community. These are the people to blame, and these are the people to fight. That's regardless of any differences you've got with, with, with other people in your area. This is regardless of the race they are. This is regardless of their sexual orientation. All this shit doesn't matter. This is petty. Think of the bigger picture. And if you and if you are actually like listening to this, going. Phew, that's just how it is lad you know what I mean just deal with it well no because I'm not going to bend over backwards and let these fucking ram their fist up my ass and use me as a fucking puppet to make them profit and neither should you so I've I've got that off my chest I've had a little rant I might have one in a bit because this honestly like like it's so beyond important and the fact that like the left apparent revolutionaries aren't even on to use as a class it just like it it's beyond mind-boggling anyway i'm ranting again so i'm going to go back to what fernand states in his works wretched of the damned he states the colonial system divides the world into two separate species the colonizer and the colonized 
and it enacts intense violence in the service of serving this division. The colonised are seen as evil and vicious animals by the coloniser. But the colonised know that this is not the case. And as they prepare for the struggle, which will demonstrate their humanity through violence, decolonization is the appropriate use of violence by the colonised. So, like, if you look at that, and this was somebody who was writing about revolution in Al- Algeria, in Africa, he was recognising these things and how colonial power was colonised, the colonised and he was making observations which are still very much relatable today. Like, I can't help but recognise how the Lumpen are thought of by both the bourgeois and the worker, their own class, in industrial nations. And this is where we, as a class, must work hard to dispel the thoughts that the Lumpen are, in quote, social scum, thugs, aggressive animals. Like, you might have heard in my intro that you know, where, where, like, there's all the music in there. They're labelled as chavs, council housed and violent. In Scotland, they say neds, non-educated delinquents. And in my city, like, the scallies. So good old scallywags, like pirates and that, you know what I'm saying? They find us childish and mis- mischievous, but are still syn- synonymous with chavs and neds. So, and even the term hoodies is also one that was brandished about, and it's just suggesting that you know, us people or youth, the people that wear hoods up, it's to hide from CCTV in order to commit crime. And these are terms like brandish casually about by the proletariat, the bourgeois, the mass media. The very derogatory phrases. And in a great way to separate them from the rest of society, despite being a product of society, or more specifically, bourgeois colonialists. And, and you'll see as we go on, the unparalleled similarities of both the lumpen of industrial nations and those of Africa or elsewhere, where Fernand in his text is focusing on. Because we really, we really do, as a class, have more in common with immigrants and foreign people, poor people, than we have with the ruling class. We can't just hop on a plane and go wherever we want. We can't just buy whatever we want whenever we want. We can't just live however we want. We're struggling. We're, I mean... We've got to struggle to make ends meet, like all the oppressed people all all around the world, no matter what country they're in. So just just get it out of your mind that this bourgeois ruling class, that that's who we are and they represent us and that's our country. No, we're colonised by these same parasites and you need to see them as parasites. You need to see we are the working class, we are the people, we are the proletarians, we're not the pigs. Like, as Fred Hampson said, we have to make this distinction. And if you make that distinction and you want to do something about it, then you've got to say, I am a revolutionary. And you've got to commit your life to this shit. But in case you don't believe me that Marxism's the answer, and Marxists provide context in describing how this world is, rather than how being told how it is by, you know, these systems that control how you think to further fuck you up the ass with no Vaseline. Well then on you a submissive bitch and a pity you. And if that's just pissed you off, go and go go and attack these rats who, who were gonna send our kids to war, who were exploiting us, who were taking the piss out of us on a daily fo- on on a, on on the reg. 
You know what I'm saying? Direct that anger to the people who are causing me to say this. I'm just a poor, mentally fucking suffered, poor bastard. Shit. Like, we've got, we've got to laugh about this, otherwise I'll fucking bawl my eyes out. But anyway, back on, because I can't stop me ranting. I should have just done a podcast episode where I just sit there and rant. Or maybe I shouldn't have. Let me know if you like me rant, Sona. But, but look, the colonialism is still very much a part of class struggle. I've got to use it as a means of accurately describing the struggle of the lumpen in particular. Because if you consider workers, they can go through class consciousness or class struggle by trade unionism, you know, intellectualism to bring about, you know, solidarity with the class that way. But the lumpen are excluded from, obviously, trade unions, are excluded from higher education, a chance to go to middle class by the very nature and oppression of the colonizers, the bourgeoisie. So I've been thinking about this for the last year or so, It's an extremely ingenious way of ensuring that the same class within the same national population never have enough class-conscious forces at one time to tackle this colonialism or parasitic capitalism because they don't recognise the fundamental reasons for the existence and propagation of the lumpen as being that of the first and constant instance of colonialism, which are colonisers. I mean, this is my theory, that the the colonisers have practised their methods to colonise people and make them submissive and make them not want to rebel and protest and all that, which the lumpen don't do. You don't see them rebelling, you don't see them protesting. So I think that this is what the colonialists, the ruling class, the bourgeoisie, have done and practised on, you know, this dividing and conquering, using mass media against the people describing them as scum, social scum, um, as, as well as social, economic, political and national deprivation before taking these methods overseas. Like, after all, to, to suggest that they went overseas without ever colonising their own population and simply spontaneously knowing how to do it on foreign people is just absolutely madness and there's no there's no basis for that whatsoever. So people in my land have been colonised since King Edmund Ironside of England took Mercia from the Anglo-Saxons. But we'll go more into this colonialism near the end. And this is also why I believe accents and slang are so strong in lumpen communities to the point that these pros, the proletarians who are not lumpen, can often consider this street slang to be something of another language. Just as the lumpen can consider the intellectuals to speak and write in another language through this dialectical vocabulary within the same nation between classes, they don't understand what each other is saying, but they're in the same they're in the same class. You know what I'm saying? These educational, these people in uni, these people in colleges. If you're listening, you're one of them. You know for a fact you don't sound like me, even if you are from this city. You're well spoken, as they say it. But if I just was whipping out all this slang and that, or you were like, like with with the lads and that, you're not gonna understand what the fuck they're saying. So there's always a language barrier between us, and we're on we're on the same nation. You know what I mean? It's it's madness, and it's something you need to consider about because it's definitely a tactic used to divide us. 
And personally, I've used a lot of Marxist terms or even words with more than a couple of syllables in around lumping. And I've, I've been told multiple times, shibby, you're chatting shit, you're making words up. Those words don't exist. You're just going around making words up, you fucking madman. So, like, if you can do me a favour listening, just leave a message, comment, and, and comment to say that the words I use in this do actually exist. I haven't made any up. <laughs> and, um, because that actually goes a long way to show support and solidarity for me so that I can reiterate this to them and then they can actually think, oh my God, Shibby's not actually making words up here. That means that the words he uses have got actual descriptions and those actual descriptions describe the reality that we live in today. So maybe I should actually listen to this here. So yeah, I've, I've, I've encountered loads of reactionary resistance. Like, But to go back on the rallying of the left and the shift in practice of leftist organisations in support of the masses, which are mostly lumpen. Fanon argues, as do I, that the intellectual will have to learn to subject their personal will to the collective will of the masses through a process of self-criticism. The intellectual sheds all that calculating, all those strange silences, ulterior motives, that devious thinking as they gradually plunge further among the people, end the quote. So I'm going to go back onto what left organisations mostly compose of, and that is uni students, you know, educated people who with the student loans and their accommodation, they cannot, they cannot be considered as the masses in as much as the same way the lumpen or the colonised can. I've seen a few over the years even, you know, used organising to advance their education from piggybacking onto these movements and then, you know, you just don't see them again. So, um, so you know, this isn't what a principal comrade should be about, yet it's one of those things I can't help but recognise as a reality while seeing the intellectuals dive into the masses as imaginary and, frankly, a dream of mine. So if you are a uni student and... Like, this is no way a stab at you. This is merely a material analysis, um, an observation which I'm more than happy to discuss with any of you and I'm willing to accept them wrong on any of this, changing my opinions when confronted with new information and principled reasoning, you know, like any good Marxist should. So, speaking of Marxists, Fernand accurately describes the nature of the lumpen again in his depiction of the colonised stating in quotations the compartmentalization of colonial culture is the way in which society has been structured so it's what the masses have to work with the compartmentalization makes the colonized often feel trapped by colonial relations which can only be escaped through dreams because there's no real outlet for the colonized at all this frustrating sense of being trapped creates violence among the colonized as the colonised people attack each other due to the constant tension of colonial society, the constant policing by the occupying European order or the state, the sense of being trapped and the constant demand to be submissive makes this sort of tension fester even more intensely in the colonised quarters. Simply put, people turn to violence in almost any provocation because the only way the colonised or the lumpen can exert itself through power at all is through violent, violent self-defence. Whenever the colonised subject is wrong at all by other colonised subjects, 
Fernand goes on, by throwing himself into bloody feuds or beef, the colonised endeavours to consider themselves that colonialism's never existed, that everything is as it used to be, and history goes on. So personally, I just thought, wow, and I can't think of any Lumpenor people who know them who'd be able to argue this. So, like, there are instances beyond friendship, and even within friendship, depending on how desperate the necessary conditions to make profit are, where this happens, but, you know, if you think of scallies or gangsters, etc., and picture looking at them in a curious way, speaking to them with the slightest bit of respect, which may even be, you know, without fear or choosing to deal with somebody else, you're going to go and see their ego kicking. You're going to see aggression, violent reaction, you know, bullying, terrorising, where they've got a reputation among other lumpen, the lads or the gangsters or the firm or whatever you use call it, in order to maintain your ego and your reputation. And if I add on to what Fernand says and just add on some analysis of my own from the later episode, like reputation's pretty much capital in lumpen communities. Like the more you have, the easier it is to make money. And the less you have, the harder it is to survive, just as in any economy if you've got no capital. So dialectically, just as capitalism, imperialism must assert itself with force in order to accumulate more capital, then constantly maintain that level of violence in order to maintain it. Like, you can lose in just the same way if you show a weakness. The short ability to get food is reduced or taken from you. And this is described by Fanon because they live, you know, in desperate decrepit environments with police, the occupying bourgeoisie state, breathing down the necks. So one reason I left that life is because it's just too too violent, it's too aggressive. You've got to maintain a reputation as somebody who's willing to fight, stab, or shoot you if you ever get fucked over or taken the piss out of any, in any way. I mean, personally, it was nothing like that for me, but I'm just that's what it was like for some people. And broadly speaking, I'm... Obviously not an aggressive person, uh, or I could never assimilate myself into that life because of my class consciousness. And generally, travelling and, and seeing a world beyond that of the lumpen life, like when I was younger, I was free running, and I got to travel and meet lads from all over the country, even people from all over the world. And like so I was like culturally, like I had my uh, horizons broadened culturally, and like I just knew that there was more to the world than that. So... I was really inspired because I got to meet, like, great people throughout my life, like, genuinely amazing people. So, and you don't see too many of them in the streets. You just see other colonised people in desperate conditions or people with so much potential, but they're worried that if they speak up and start speaking about what I'm speaking about, they're going to get bullied by the same people who they need to work with in order to make their living. You know what I'm saying? And that's probably what it's like everywhere. I don't doubt it. But that's why the revolutionary is the bravest <laughs> kind of people in the world. Solidarity to all my comrades out there. Keep fighting a good fight. Rest in power for those who've tried to get power back to the people to end this violent exploitation and have chosen to die for causes beyond drugs and reputation in the fucking streets. And if you still don't think Fanon describing colonised people and, you know, just giving a class analysis, dialectical analysis of the world is accurate to the life of the Lumpen, I'm just going to throw this on you and there's no way you can deny it. Um, so just to add on to my previous 
Fanon extract, which Comrade Escalante, who I just love, further shows the literal symmetry between the analysis of colonised people with my comparison of the Lumpen or my analysis. Goes, quote, Fanon argued that the ritual dance and possession rituals which we see within African spirituality can be best understood as an expression of this exhaustion of the colonial adaptivity. He also notes that the liberation struggle picks up. These rituals begin to fade to the background as the colonised is forced to face immediate needs like feeding the poor or survive an intense violent oppression from the colonial forces. This is just like so accurate. Like even if you go on Google and search like poor people dancing or something similar, you'll find that even today dancing's typically for the poor. It's not something the wealthy do. And if you do see the the wealthy dancing, like that video of Hillary Clinton decades ago, which is bare cringe. You see they just can't dance. And even if they do it structured dance and you can't actually get it wrong, like like fucking Walton and all that ballroom dancing shit. The poor colonised people of the bourgeois nations, however, have, have the night lies over the weekend in dance clubs and particularly the Lumpen have a very high level of interest in dance music, house music and dance culture. We can all dance pretty good too, you know what I'm saying? I love to dance myself and I'm, I'm, I'm a part of that. So they'll often see. Music is the answer to your problems. Keep on moving. Is one of the many beliefs within these most oppressed communities of people. So we're forcing them to go out and listen to as a form of escapism from the horrible fucking conditions that they're forced to survive under. It's within this nightlife that the lumpen community is the most strongest because, like, you, you need all the boys and that to throw in because it's really not fucking cheap. Because, like, often the only way to get the most out of it is by spending a lot of money, which they do. So they're not forced to mingle with the workers on the dance floor and they can instead take the status and the class above the working class by paying for, like, booths, tables, bottles. You know, have you ever seen, like, the only way is exits and that? Then that, that's how they do it, you know what I'm saying? Um, you can't do that if you're a worker because you're poor as shit. You've got bills to pay. Most of your wages go into your fucking rent. But obviously, it's it's different for the lumpen. So, like, it's no secret how this is funded. Funded, but the biggest problem, or one of the few problems with it, is that to protect the lumpen capital or physical capital from other lumpen, there's like an arms race with knives in club culture. And honestly, like I've, like honestly, I have actually dreamed that like if anything comes from this podcast, like like is that it spreads, like it spreads class consciousness enough to the right people. So like I mean, I'm thinking of London mostly, so that like even if the lads around the world aren't gonna be brave enough to take up arms in the glorious revolution against the colonizers or come out and and organize with us stand up for climate change stand up for aggression stand up for all of this shit us activists do then at least do, do they'll be less inclined to stab members of their own fucking class who were just forced into these conditions that again the bourgeois and capitalists and the ruling class all synonymous words by the way that they you know force people into this senseless violence which is what it is Going back to the podcast, the more wretched of the earth I read, the more I can't help but see my topic of focus as a Marxist, the lumpen proletariat. 
be described here by Fanon's historical material analysis of oppressor nations. It's a little bit out of context, but like remember this is as I talk about the colonized masses and how those even of nations like the UK and the US can still be by Fanon's works still very much colonized and how the bourgeois make was content with their prestige works. Quote, Since the bourgeois has not the economic means to ensure its domination and to throw a few crumbs to the rest of the country, since, moreover, it is preoccupied with filling its pockets as rapidly as possible, but also is prosaic, I don't know that word, prosaically, what the heck is that, as possible, uh, the country sinks all the more deeply into stagnation. And in order to hide the stagnation and to mark this regression, to reassure itself and give itself something to boast about, the bourgeoisie can find nothing better to do than to erect grand joys, grand buildings, in other words, again, this is another way I can't fucking explain, goddamn, uh, buildings in the capital and to lay out money on which they call prestige expenses, expressing its mediocrity in its profits, its achievements, and then even though it tries to hide this mediocrity by buildings which have prestige value at the individual level, by cronium plating and big American cars, by holidays and weekends in neon lit nightclubs. That's Fernand talking, not me. So personally, I'd like to add on sports stadiums, reality TV shows, you know, any of these things that can be used to pacify the proletariat and distract them into thinking that these products of the bourgeoisie are exploitation or a source of national pride. You know, you, you see it all the time. They build all, they build all these things. We all think that our country is great because of what they've built, but psh, you know what I mean? It's literally just to pacify us. And also what he talks about at the top of that paragraph where he says that since the bourgeoisie has not the economic means to ensure its domination and throw a few crumbs to the rest of the country, since more ocu- moreover it's preoccupied with its fillings of its pockets. It's basically saying, you know, it's going to give, it's going to spend enough on police to repress us and, you know, attack the poor but it's not going to do much more than that it's just going to build a few things that's going to distract us and you know what I'd even go so far as to say that like COD video games all this shit um, is the exact same thing and you know what to take that even further I'm going to say Instagram I'm going to say starting from Georgie Shaw way back when and then you know now you've got Love Island and all that and you've got everybody going mad with with their egos on on Insta and Facey and and, and all that this is just again things they've created that nobody's asked for and everybody's just so preoccupied with with them these prestige works as Funan puts it that nobody looks up to see what you know who's oppressing us but Fanon, my, my comrade Maiji he also states his own explanation of the lumping as he says quote the westernized elements feeling toward the peasant masses recall those found among the proletariat masses of industrial nations In the industrialised countries, the peasant masses are generally the least politically conscious, the least organised, as well as the most anarchistic. They are characterised by a series of features, individualism, lack of discipline, the love of money, etc., defining an objectively reactionary behaviour. So as colonialism continues to develop, the landless presence and those who can't make a living in the countryside anymore are slowly driven into the cities, crammed into shanty towns, and become the lumpen proletariat. Those peasants who stayed in the countryside 
often become starch defenders of traditions and in a colonial society, importantly, they actually represent elements of discipline and communalism, while the urban centres become increasingly individualistic. Okay, so, I mean, you can see things, I mean, that's how he describes the creation of the lumpen proletariat in those instances of countryside and moving into the city and then becoming increasingly individualistic. So if you look at the UK, you can see that the countryside are by no means full of peasants, like they were for a lot of history, but that's like feudalistic times, I guess. But instead, now the countryside consists mostly of middle working class people. Lumpen do exist in the countryside, but they are, as Fernand says, in quote, in this way, the colonial structure benefits, while the divide between the bourgeoning urban elite and the rural peasant masses only grow. When the urban elements do go to the country area, it's always with the authority of the urban powers at their backs, and it usually only causes more resentment and division. They do not go into these areas to teach, to educate, to unify or cooperate, but rather they go there to dictate and dominate, erasing important traditions and histories in the name of a new national identity. But the colonial powers and the entire colonial structure continues to benefit from this divide. And, like, just think about that seriously for for a moment. Like, go back and and, and rewind that, because that's some some truth right there. So Fernand breaks off from the material context that can be applied in the UK or other developed nations, because I believe this part, like most, if not all, of Wretched of the Land, can be applied to that of the colonizer and colonized nations, even today. I believe what we can take away from this is the fact that peasants did have to leave the countryside and rural farm life, living to sustain themselves as cities grew, and they were forced into those cities, you know, from being poor, thus forcing them into the life of the lumpen. And what I also believe is, as I, as I apply historical material context to my own country, and I'm sure can be applied to other European nations, is that post-World War II, a lot of housing estates were built. Like, I know my family grew up in a housing estate that was built after World War II, after, like, the area, after, you know, the city got hit by German bombers. So, in that instance, over 10 miles from the city centre, industrialisation and city districts and all the antagonisms that come with them came to us. So we didn't have to go into the city to become lumpen. The city has come out to us. Also, when the lumpen of the council estates and communities of lumpen do go into the countryside, as Fernand said, it's to dictate and dominate. Not like as kings, you know, telling people, you're my squire, do this. It's often in the case of going or being sent out of the way, you know, to sell and distribute drugs, to get people hooked, to start some kind of illegal activity, to form gangs and exploit these people who are unfamiliar with the, with the tactics and unable to combat this kind of attack to the previous existence, causing the social communal division that, again, Fernand accurately describes in quotes, the colonial powers and the entire colonial structure continues to benefit from this divide and of course it does because everybody's too high or too desperate to gain class consciousness to turn on the state with revolutionary intent it's dialectical in the sense that the lumpen are the colonized but in these instances they're the colonizers mentally and physically through the exploitation addiction 
and physically bullying or, you know, the abuse inflicted on the people. So while this is not only what happens in some instances like this, just as all crime is a product of economic and material deprivation as well, more importantly, it's a lack of class consciousness. Like, I am very much on the side of the lumping because, like, while I've seen this bad, I've also seen good. Like, I've seen, like, a lot of good. I've, <laughs> like, on, on, I love them, obviously. Um, they're, they're the sickest. So, like... <laughs> in fact, I've seen so much that it's why I'm convinced that the proletariat needs, needs the lumping if we're ever going to do anything about, you know, the dialectics and the history of the proletarian class struggle beyond read or listen, you, you know, to it like you're doing now. Just like earlier on he said these intellectuals have to really self-crit themselves and then come down to our level. They've got to accept that this is the, this is the world and, how, you know, how it works, so to speak. Like, the alternative to not do this as a united left making a direct effort to focus our attention on the radicalisation of the lumpen. Well, it's, quote, At this point, the colonial forces add another weapon to their arsenal, psychological warfare, as if they don't do that enough already, with phenomenal warning of the co-opting of the lumpen proletariat by the force of the colonialism, while pointing out that always wanting to revolt, which I personally disagree with, can and will be bought off by the colonial powers. If a national liberalisation movement does not pay attention to them, and importantly their political ed- education, and you know, that's that come from Comrade O'Shea, shout out, big love. It's beyond common sense how important education is for revolution. This is why any good revolutionary stresses its importance, as I'm doing now. Perhaps to long-time comrades who have never even heard of the lumpen before. As I know quite well, like, a lot of people, when I've mentioned the lumpen, like, have never even fucking heard of them. But, like, I digress. Fernand mentioned, quote, They can and will be bought off by the colonial powers if the national liberation movement does not pay attention to them, and importantly, their political education. So this is going to be my favourite part of the episode, nationalism. So, like, and more specifically, left nationalism. So before you get your internationalist feathers ruffled up, comrades, give me a chance here and say yes, international solidarity with the comrades in places like Cuba, Haiti, Venezuela, Bolivia, Yemen, Palestine, and the list goes on and on with those fighting and opposing imperialism. But let's just take a minute to do a little analysis and look at the facts here. Generally, the lumpen do, don't give a shit about them. Like, generally, they've never heard of them in their entire fucking lives and never heard of these countries. Never mind be able to point them out on a map. Never mind going out onto the streets in solidarity with them to protest. I've never heard of this shit. So, like, if your methods are purely international-based, how are you ever going to recruit these people? How are you giving them the right education? So, quote, It's essential for any revolutionary movement to educate these elements politically, Lack of formal political education, these elements can and do become increasingly individualistic, short-sighted, and even reactionary. In fact, like I've seen all of this multiple times, and to those who have been reactionary, it's no bullshit. Just look at the Marxist tradition, it's list- literally history written by the people from the people's point of view, using science to determine how this world works through study, analysis, evidence. It's 
Marxists, you know, it's literally the, the, the study of reality. So you can't turn your back on this Marxism, you can't oppose it without being a reactionary. And if you're doing that, then you may as well be bourgeoisie, but you may as well not be bourgeoisie because you're poor as shit. And if you don't stop doing what you got to do, you're going to be poor and die. But if you carry it on, you're probably going to end up in jail. So that's why I'm doing this, just, just to give you a little bit of support here because we are the proletarians, we have to look after each other and... You know what I'm saying? You, you cared for, you got, you got a comrade here. But yet the whole reason is to break away from capitalism, to leave this colonialism, to educate ourselves, to just let this reactionary fucking nature, this racism, this homophobia, whatever bullshit you're doing to keep us as people separated, just, just stop. Because, <laughs> um, like, your behaviours now are completely predictable in the same way that... If you've got a hamster in a cage, you know for a fact he's gonna run about a bit. You know he's gonna run on the wheel. You know he's gonna have a little a little nibble at his water bottle and, and then drink some water. You know he's gonna have a little scan and you know he's probably gonna go on his wheel again. You know what I'm saying? Because what what else can he do? Can he sit down and read the book? Can he go and fly a plane? Can, can he can he do all these things that like that hamster might actually wanna do? Can he run through all these sick tubes all day? No. Because he's in a cage and this is his material reality. He's bound by that. You know, as a person, as an outsider, that's all he can do because that's his material reality. It's the same with the bourgeoisie and us and our estates. These are our rulers. They sell guns. They sell bombs. They sell nuclear devices like it's food, like it's another hustle, a graft, a George, however you want to say it. But they don't look at us as anything other than social scum that fund their lifestyle. So it's up to us to teach ourselves and each other so that we can erase off the face of earth this class of true scum, the ultimate parasites. And it takes solidarity, not racism, homophobia or otherwise reactionary behaviours that again are literally so obvious. They're like they're so obvious, not even your own beliefs but are in fact predicted literally over a hundred years ago by Marx even further ago probably and and by Fanon here as as I'm proven to you you know what I'm saying it's so obvious these behaviors aren't even your own it's just like being that bad being the hamster you're just doing what you can do and you're doing what what's being set up for you and now and so like this means the production is the point behind this it's it's really the, distribu- the distribution of, you know, mostly what the people produce but don't get paid for in order to forge our minds and our ideology so that they can perpetuate this profit and exploitation while at the same time causing us to all fight each other desperately um, while destroying the potential for all life on Earth through climate change because they don't care. So... Talking to the left now, like, can you just stop ignoring this enormous source of revolutionary potential, both in theory, practice, and your language when describing the proletariat as the worker, which is always talking about the worker, even Karl Marx is saying, workers of the world unite, and it honestly just grinds me gears, it makes me sick, it makes me angry, you should be sick and, and angry, you need to just stop talking about the worker, because the worker are not the masses, they're the most submissive, docile, they're worse than a hamster in a cage. They're a hamster in in the pet shop. They haven't even got the freedom of their own cage. 
So pff, stop stop focusing on the fucking workers so much. Let them deal with the fucking trade unions. If you're a revolutionary, focus on the lumping because these are the lads who are willing to fight once once they fucking wake up, once they get class consciousness. These are the lords of the people. These are the people with the revolutionary power and intent. I'm convinced once we once we educate, once we support them, where they're gonna bring out all the blades, not to attack each other, when they're going to bring out all the straps, not to attack each other, but to attack this system that's oppressing us all. You workers are not going to do that, ever. That's why you just have to be talking about the lumping, you just have to focus on them, and you need to get on your hands and your knees, and you need to start fucking begging them to help out. You need to start seriously thinking about it. I can't be the only one doing this, but I've never, ever seen any other anybody else have ever seriously focused on this and speak directly to them to the masses shout out to rev left radio my comrade escalante from red manus you're very much like you know you knew for a fact once i started speaking to you initially these were like some of our first conversations and like reaching out to use with your enormous fucking platforms and that that's heard all over the fucking world by like hundreds of thousands of people and that and you said talking about the lump and more and more the more I like can talk about it and so yeah you've very much inspired this um, podcast this podcast only exists because I wanted this revolutionary group to do their own podcast but apparently they're too busy to do a podcast that's going to be heard by the masses um, so I decided to start a podcast and like I was always going to like if it picked up I was going to just give the podcast to them with like a little base support and because I wanted to support them, but then like I started focusing on the lumping and learning the theory behind it and whatnot, and um, so I just it like it hit me one day like Ed Mead lumping. That's what that's where I can start, and then from there I just keep kept building up on you know historical analysis of the lumping. So this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at now, as well as telling people the organisers. And activists who I see in real life about the lumping, but obviously I need this to actually give them actually theoretical basis, and it's something we need to do. We need to create a new theory talking about them. <sighs> so there's a rant, but I'm not even going to apologise for that rant. That's needed. That's what that's what this is about. That's what revolutionary lumping radio is about. We're gonna every single episode is going to be focused on the lump and going from different historical you know you know instances we're going to talk about the role they play this one's more about the role they could play this one's to you the left community this one's to use to give you a kick up the ass to see if you want a revolution start doing the thing to work towards it you've been trying with the workers for goddamn too long it's going nowhere reach out to the masses so Back onto the importance of minds are going to be blown here. Left-wing nationalism. So consider if at your next door, your next event, your next protest, you flew the English flag of St. George or your city sigil rather than a Cuban or Palestine flag. Like I'm pretty much positive that you're going to get more traffic and interest over to your store, over to your protest and whatnot. Then instead of describing how the victims of the evils of imperialism overseas, you discuss the attacks on the NHS, the attacks on public services, such as education, youth clubs, you know, housing, rising taxes on the people while the rich, you know, don't pay any, as well as the militarisation of the police, 
Or why there's more food banks in Britain today than there are McDonald's? Well, this is directly the opposite of trying to organise them. Again, if we go back to near the start of the episode, this is directly the opposite of trying to organise them in the name of some abstract line that the masses have no relation to. It's hitting home. It's visually playing on the nationalism nationalism that the bourgeois have implanted into the minds of the masses while bringing out the relatable conditions that they have in relation to the workers and still raising class consciousness. Like Before I lose your interest, let me just bring this back to how this is not only essential for bringing in the masses rather than trying to recruit, recruit them for causes which they've never even heard of in countries that they've never even heard of, you know, for, for words they've never even heard of, well, we can bring them in and educate them on class consciousness through the national co- consciousness that they already have. Then working on educating them to show how their concerns of the, na- of the nation are directly caused by capitalism, colonialism, which of course has no borders. So flying the St George's flag, flying your own flag of your nation, is solidarity. Imperialist countries have gone through countless severe attempts to dehumanise people, from the enslavement of black people for li- through ideology, race ideas or religion. But again, if we look at this through a colonialist, colonizer lens, using Mark Fisher's idea of mental colonialism, to the point where capitalism is, even in our very dreams, well, we can see that in many ways, the lumpen are, again, dehumanised. This is what we talk about by the colonised. I'm not just using Fernand's terms, which accurately describe how the masses are colonised, but I'm also using Mark Fisher's, which is very recent. I think it's like 2008 or 2010 or something. Rest in peace to Mark Fisher. He, he fucking, he read that book, which is so astute, so well written, so accurate. Um, and he fucking killed himself. Rest in, rest in peace. So look at the complete and utter lack of solidarity with the lumpen who are dehumanised from the workers and the left generally. I mean, you might be left-wing, you might still be thinking, oh, these are just violent thugs and that. Get that out of your fucking mind. So, like, again, besides my comments at Red Menace podcast and Revolutionary Left Radio, you have to, you know, you have to go and thank and support if you enjoyed this, because I'm not only doing this inspired what they've shown and helped educate me with, to be very effective ways of information, informational socialism, which I'd love to have an episode about in the future too. Like these are important. This, this talks, this, uh, this, this bringing together all these podcasts and speaking on other podcasts and using everybody's base to spread these important, vital messages and historical materialism, so that we can all be brought on the same ideological educated level. So the lumpen are brandished, as I said, over mass media, social scum, like scum of the earth, parasites, the the ultimate dialect of capitalism. I mean, if you look at the way Marx puts them, like, he he pretty much hates them. And in the next episode, when I go more into, I'm going to go into how Engels really fucking hated them. He, like, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. And these are communists. So lumpen can be any shade of colour under the sun. And I'm not saying the white lumpen have it in any w- remote way. 
you know, worse than the rest. But I'm saying that they are white or not, destined for imprisonment for the most cases, because poverty is in almost all instances, it's it's pretty much either economic death sentence, mental torture, or an invitation to suicide. Or, or yeah, it talks about the conditions that you're going to be violent to your own class, which is like just a vicious cycle. And if the prison abolition movement has taught us anything, it's that prison is a form of slavery, primitive modern adaptation with little justification for, the, for this method of historically housing the slaves in cages. That's where they come from. Like, I just can't have all the lump and go to jail because you comrades can't actually reach out to the masses because you're always in uni or you're just too intimidated to go and speak to these people who are often more honest and open than, than any of you. Like, I can accept it for myself as a revolutionary, but, like, for fuck's sake, can we please focus on preventing our own class of people from being in cages? People at the left, supposed revolutionaries, fly a St George's flag and do your campaigns on staying out of prison with class consciousness. Organise locally with food banks in these estates. Organise locally there with food banks and then show the boys that we can do more than be individualistic without shame while gaining pride in oneself, which is what I intend to do with my comrade locally. And you know, hopefully very soon you're going to see pictures of that on my Twitter and whatnot. As well as, you know, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, the effects of that and, and the people I engage with and local organising, which we all have to do, build locally. And this is another thing with these educationals that always got meet up in town, which is great. You know, we do these things in town and organise there, but we're not even talking to the masses there. We need to be organising locally and base building. What's more is that the flag of England, rather than the United Kingdom, really goes a long way in anti-imperialism because it's very much in solidarity with the people of Ireland. Power to them and up the IRA, as well as the Scottish and Welsh liberation, it means the dissolution of the Union. And anything that takes power away from the Crown is literally essential for socialism anywhere in the world. We want to dissolve the Union. We want to give Ireland back to the people, the Republic, we want Scotland to be, to be free of the tentacles of imperialism. So while later on we can talk about internationalism with these organising and the people we've recruited, or leave other orgs to that, there's still the, the topics of the dissolution, the dissolution of the Union, as well as the, auster, the austerity at home to talk about. Let's make England great again, before some fascists come along saying, make Great Britain great again which is essentially already being done, because that's what Brexit was. We need nationalist left-wing organisations, because as Franz Fanon stated, which, I mean, he'd done a chapter on national consciousness, it's essential to defeat colonialism in every single nation. And until you come up with a theory to tell me otherwise, we should all be behind him, because it's worked. It's only when the proletariat have been defeated, the col- colonialist the colonist that is capitalism, liberalism, that we can set up socialism. So imagine everybody around the world uses this national struggle, this national consciousness to push the bourgeoisie out and recognise that they're just building things to, to placate us and make us look the other way. Uh, well, you know, we get England back. 
all the people of Africa get their old flags back. You know, Australia, I don't know, don't know what you can do about that because I don't know. Well, well, again, he was the Aborigines, so we need to, you know, have a flag for them, go back to the United States. Uh, that flag needs to be dissolved, have a star taken off one, one day at a time. And then, so if you imagine that, then what? Then what happens is when we all have a national sovereignty that represents the people back, that's since been a product of bourgeois representation and colonialism rather than representation of the people. Well, quite simply, the old is dying and a new world struggles to be born, meaning the struggle's going to continue until we recognise that we, as a species, have defeated colonialism, nationalism, class struggle through Marxism. And so we must also go away with the colonial flags to look back at where we came from, before that, I mentioned that, you know, this area is part of Mercia, you know, the Anglo-Saxons, Saxons, all this shit, and, but we can even go further back than that, and it's going to take us to the continent of Africa, and with that being said, we are all of one land, we are all of one earth, and we will do what we must to return to this national state of communalism, which is very much a part of a human nature. I mean, if you consider capitalism, it's the opposite. It's not communalism. It's people separated into different segments. It's families going from big communal, you know, extended families to the nuclear family. We don't really talk to our nans or granddads, you know, all grandparents and all that. They go to, they go to, you know, old people homes, and we're just proper individualistic, and we don't even look after them anymore. Because, and that's so we can go to work for eight hours a day and just be exploited heavily so we go back to africa we go back to our state of communalism which is natural we look after each other again i mean we want to do that now even before kicking the bourgeois the bourgeois ideology from our borders our islands and our territories that speak our language and share cultural traditional values and history that makes the national struggle one there has to be one before the move beyond that to build solidarity and unification with other lands, people, cultures, whose language we may not know right now, which is why these national flags are important, because obviously we can say, oh, well, we know English, let's go to the England flag and all that, but then, you know, once we move on, we can go back to these language barriers, and we, we don't know their language right now, but over time, I'm sure the Vanguard party will consider these barriers or use technology to break them in the name of international and global communist solidarity. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm developing that idea, just like inviting the lumpen to a class struggle and left-wing nationalism, all these topics, you know, I don't see, you know, near enough anywhere. <laughs> it's something I'm forced to think about pretty much by myself. So if you do have ideas on this or critics, please run them by me. If any lumpen listen to this, Tell me not. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's right. Tell me what I what I can improve on. Tell me how I can better articulate this to the masses. Uh, most of this, sh- it's worth noting, is because of the support I've had from from the masses, from the you know the com- community. Again, these these educated socialists didn't teach me this shit. They didn't show me this. It was the masses. So thank you, boys. So I'm gonna round this episode up. 
I hope it's been enlightening in the slightest. I'm sure it's been. I hope it's been at least a little bit entertaining. I'm sure my monotone voice hasn't been too <laughs> too, too annoying to listen to. Um, I do have a monotone voice. I, I need singing lessons or something. But I've tried to be like emotional. I've tried to pronunciate. But you know me, I'm just an uneducated member of the masses. So I'm just going to go into the next episode and talk about that. Because this is going to be for the lumpen. Whereas this one's for the left. So I'm going to go through the revolutionary life of Ed Mead and his autobiography. He was a lumpen proletariat. And he was personally my most adored revolutionary. He was spent over 25 years of his life in prison. During that time, he, he basically stopped racism. He stopped homophobia. He stopped rapes, attacks, stabbings completely. He organised strikes, the quality of life improvements, with, and, and this is with the most violent, dangerous people in society in the roughest of the United States prisons, as well as even getting prison wardens fired, educating himself in law to defend him and his comrades. While being an avid writer to write papers for inside and outside of jail, which he was kicked out of and, and he had to go to all different kinds of jails because he just kept he kept radicalising the uh, population and he kept doing all things to defend their own fucking integrity and had solidarity. So as well as taking the fight, I mean, this is one of the reasons he ended up in there is because he took the fight to the state in the very heart of the United States. And I'm, I'm seriously surprised that he isn't more well-known like, after all, he's one of the few US citizens to engage in revolutionary combat with his comrades of the George Jackson Brigade. So, again, this episode wasn't for the Lumpen, it was for the left, but the next episode in the life of this revolutionary Lumpen will be for the Lumpen. So that, you know, touch wood, if the worst comes to worst, there's going to be hope for you, hopefully comrades by it at this point, as prisoners as well as education, how to improve the whole prison's quality of life in there through solidarity and organising. You know, this, I mean, tackling racism, homophobia, improving the quality of life, organising, strikes and that within prison. This takes immense bravery and it can only be found in the heart of a revolutionary. I'm going to leave a tasting of that reading before signing out. From my first episode and quote a good writer should be able to accurately describe the sound of a bullet being fired into the building as it slams into or ricochets off a wall or whatnot as near as it could ever come to making that sound comes from having watched old black and white cowboy movies on television as a kid the ricochet and bullets on tv back then made the sound like Bazing. But that's not how the police bullets sounded to me as they rattled around the inside of the bank that my friends and I were trying to rob. In those days, as revolutionaries, we called it bank exploration. One of my comrades, Bruce, was lying on the floor about six feet away from me. He was in the process of dying from two fatal gunshot wounds. Without any warning or the opportunity to surrender, he'd been shot in the back. He'd spun around and the second shot fired by a different police officer, hit him in the chest. My other comrade was sitting next to the bank's main door, his unfired shotgun still on his lap, bleeding from a gunshot wound to the face. 
I had the bank manager lying down in front of me parallel to the front door and I was using his body as a shield from which to shoot back at the ever-growing number of police cars arriving at the scene. It would be nice to say that at this moment I pause to reflect upon the circumstances that led me to this juncture in time and place. However, the fact is I used the slow motion passage of events at that moment to focus on the sound of the flying bullets and possibly to lament the fact that my brown and 9mm automatic contained three clips of ammunition that would not fire properly. John, the man who'd been shot in the face, had used up all my, my ammo the day before during target practice, forcing me to go out and get 9mm bullets. I didn't know at the time, but military weapons have a stronger spring be- behind the firing pin, and thus their ammo takes a heavier blow to fire the pin. At least every other shot I fired back at the police was a dud. While I may not have reflected at the many quantitative steps that led me to that qualitative moment in time, I have since done so, and this is my story. Right, okay, so that's that. Uh, a taste of the lumpen industrial colonialism and left-wing nationalism. I really hope you enjoyed. I know, again, I've got a monotone voice, but I did try and be as enthusiastic as possible. So if you liked the episode, please like, share, comment. There's also the Revolutionary Lumpen Radio Patreon. If you want to show some support, spare any change possible, it's just going to go towards organising, getting in and out of town because I'm half skint. Yeah, show your support on that. I'm going to try and do a few podcast episodes on that for Patreon subscribers. Let me know what you think because like, I'm, I'm serious right now. We're in a real world. Like... <laughs> dialectics is going on and if you really support this you know you you say nice i like it and all that and and again if you if, if you mention the fact that i'm not making words up and i'm not chatting shit i can i can fucking show this to anybody that says it you know i am so it goes a long way i'm gonna sign off there this is shibby revolutionary lump and radio solidarity when you're dressing up still it's not enough Trying to impress man, he keeps passing by Better be someone Try to be someone You're caught up in the past Show you living fast You're talking, talking, but he's walking I can't help but laugh Better be someone Try to be someone Money and the car